In August 1976, Neil Armstrong touched down for his latest mission. But he wasn't flying naval planes or walking on the moon. This journey was more grounded, literally. Armstrong was in Ecuador to explore a mythical underground cave known as Cueva de los Tayos. According to the recently published The Gold of the Gods by Eric von Däniken, the cavern was unlike any other place on Earth. Supposedly, it had walls that formed perfect right angles and a secret library filled with books made of gold. Some people believe these extraordinary texts held the keys to the entire universe. And Armstrong leaped at the opportunity to see the cave's secrets with his own two eyes. Even better, if everything went according to plan, he and the rest of the team would walk away with some of the most priceless artifacts in all of human history. Talk about a giant leap for mankind. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first and only episode on Cueva de los Tayos, a mysterious cave in Ecuador's Amazon rainforest. Some explorers claim they've found incredible treasures within the caverns. Caches of gold, metallic plates with advanced knowledge, and architecture that seems to defy any simple explanation. Today, we'll meet the indigenous Shuar people whose ties to Los Tayos go back centuries. We'll explore the cave through the eyes of determined explorers, including the legendary Neil Armstrong. Finally, we'll peel back the curtain on a man who wrote a definitive book about the caves and examine the validity of his claims. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. If you plan to visit Cueva de los Tayos, you're in for a long journey. After flying into Ecuador's capital, Quito, you'll drive through the Amazon rainforest. Once you've made it through eight hours of bumpy, winding roads, you reach a small town called Mendez. Now you're done with the easy part. Next, you have to depart Mendez to trudge through mud on your way toward the Santiago River. There, you'll slide into a canoe, rowing past scenic waterfalls as you navigate to a trailhead. After that, you've got a five-hour hike through the Puntilla de Coangos Mountain. 
When you finally reach the summit, you catch sight of a few thatch huts. This is where you meet the Shuar, the indigenous people of the region who control who comes and goes into the cave. After dealing with invaders for the last few centuries, they're understandably wary of visitors. In the mid-16th century, the Spanish conquered Ecuador, forcing the Shuar to work in gold and silver mines. The yoke didn't last long, though. The Shuar were fierce warriors. They fought back and eventually regained control of their territory. For centuries afterward, the Spaniards ruled over the country, except when it came to the Shuar. But in the 20th century, they faced another unexpected challenge. In the 1960s, Ecuadorian authorities sought to address a land shortage by colonizing the Amazon. The vast rainforest spans eight countries, including the eastern part of Ecuador, where the Shuar live. The government's plan was to redistribute the region to the nation's lowest income workers so they could cultivate the nutrient-rich soil. Their idea might have been well-intentioned, but it completely disregarded the Shuar, who laid claim to the land millennia ago. Sure enough, the influx of new residents caused overcrowding, prompting some natives to leave. Those who stayed struggled to retain ownership of the region. Still, they made sure one special area never left their control, Cueva de los Tayos. That translates to Cave of the Oilbirds, in honor of the winged creatures that live inside. The fowl are small and brown, black, or white, and use echolocation to navigate subterranean caverns just like bats. The caves became an object of global fascination in 1974, shortly after Eric von Däniken published The Gold of the Gods. In it, he described a place that sounded like something out of science fiction. Except he insisted what he saw was real. Von Däniken claimed the site was allegedly discovered in 1965 by Hungarian-Argentine explorer Juan Morris, but clearly the Schwar were familiar with the cave long before then. Still, per Von Däniken, Morris came upon inscribed metal plaques that documented the, quote, history of a lost civilization. Amazed, he reached out to Ecuador's president, hoping to arrange some kind of scientific commission to explore the caverns further. Apparently, the leader didn't have time to meet for over a year. So, Maurice withdrew his request. For the foreseeable future, it seemed no one shared his enthusiasm for the cave. Until 1972. That's when von Däniken heard about the alleged discovery. The Swiss author said he was so intrigued, he traveled to Ecuador to visit the cavern alongside Maurice. After an arduous 24-hour journey, like the one you heard earlier, the men finally arrived at Cueva de los Tayos. It's important to point out, von Däniken never explained how he and Maurice gained access to the site, or if the Schwar were aware of their presence and allowed them inside. We do know Von Däniken suggested he and Maurice made it inside with no problem. He claimed they rappelled around 250 feet down to the bottom, 
A swarm of oil birds kept the men company as they navigated a labyrinth of passages unlike any von Däniken had ever seen before. He described it as feeling like a modern-day bomb shelter, with walls that formed perfect right angles and ceilings that looked glazed, like someone had polished them to a sheen. In other words, the corridor didn't seem natural, and it was hard to imagine anyone making the trek to the remote cavern just to scrub and buff it. Before long, they arrived in an area filled with golden statues of animals and a metallic library, just like Maurice had said. Van Dienigen described the books as plaque-like, a few millimeters thick, and approximately three feet tall by two feet wide. They were surrounded by metal leaves with foreign inscriptions. And that wasn't all. There were stones that looked prehistoric, including one that had an apparent drawing of a dinosaur on it, and a huge pile of gold. Maurice was right. Los Tayos was full of wonders. When they emerged, von Däniken couldn't wrap his head around the marvels he'd just seen. The perfect right angles, the polished walls, the huge metal books, the picture of the dinosaur. It all seemed so extraordinary. It's likely von Däniken was even more astonished when he heard there were additional treasures nearby. They belonged to a local priest, Father Carlos Crespi. Born in Italy, Crespi moved to Ecuador in 1923 and spent decades working with the Shuar. While the Shuar had a contentious relationship with most foreigners, Father Crespi seemed to be an exception. He established an orphanage and schools and donated food and money to lower-income community members. According to von Däniken, they respected him and his work so much they gave him a few metal objects from the cave. Eager to lay eyes on the artifacts, von Däniken arranged a meeting with Crespi. The priest brought out several metallic plates and pointed to the different inscriptions, stars, moons, and suns. One gold object in particular caught von Däniken's attention. It showed a human-like figure, except its hands and feet had only four digits each, and its head was shaped like a sun with a smiling face in the center. Crespi believed it was an image of something called the Star God. According to the priest, those inscriptions were, quote, older than the flood, end quote. This was a reference to the Old Testament tale of Noah's Ark. That meant the artifacts were thousands of years old and had somehow been transported from Asia to South America. This suggested something truly remarkable was going on. Afterward, von Däniken couldn't forget his Ecuadorian adventures, even once he returned home. He was so mesmerized by what he'd seen, he made Cueva de los Tayos the subject of his soon-to-be-published book, The Gold of the Gods. Before long, it became a bestseller, as readers around the world joined von Däniken in his obsession. One reader, Scottish civil engineer Stan Hall, was especially taken in. Hall recognized how important Cueva de los Tayos might be, and he was determined to put together a full-blown expedition to uncover the secrets of the world's next great wonder. But first, he needed funding, and lots of it. 
and he knew just how to get financiers on board. He'd invite one of the most famous people in the world to join his team. Coming up, Neil Armstrong explores the mysterious caverns. They're responsible for some of the most horrifying acts of violence ever known. Men and women who went to lethal extremes. But why? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, follow the life and crimes of an actual murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers examines the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Listen now and catch our special series on manhunts, where we follow the processes police use as they hunt for murderers in treacherous terrains and unusual locations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Eric von Däniken wrote about Cueva de los Taos in his 1972 book, The Gold of the Gods. This inspired Scottish engineer Stan Hall to organize a journey to the mysterious remote cave. But he couldn't just get up and go. First, he'd need money. He put together a proposal outlining the mission's three goals. Find Cueva de los Taos, map out its system of tunnels, and conduct scientific investigations in and around the area. Hall figured he'd be more likely to get support from international organizations if there was a big name attached to the mission. And one of the most famous explorers of the time was astronaut Neil Armstrong. In 1969, Armstrong cemented his place in history as the first man to walk on the moon. He also happened to have Scottish ancestry, just like Hall. Maybe their shared heritage would draw the astronaut to the project. So, Hall wrote him a letter, even though evidence suggested Armstrong might not get back to him. Since returning from his flight to space, Armstrong had kept a low profile. Unlike his fellow crew members on Apollo 11, he didn't make any public appearances or talk to the press often. Yet, much to his amazement, Hall got a response. Armstrong wrote that it would be an honor to join him. And sure enough, with the astronaut on board, the British and Ecuadorian governments agreed to sponsor the expedition to Los Tayos. Of course, they couldn't make the journey alone. Hall spent the next year putting together a 100-person crew and handling the logistics. Finally, on July 1st, 1976, Hall and many of his teammates touched down in Quito. Armstrong was set to arrive a few weeks later. In the meanwhile, they were swamped by television crews and military personnel. It was one of the biggest crowds the area had hosted in years. Under their watch, Hall and his crew set up camp and scoped out their surroundings, while advance teams forged ahead to determine the safest path to Los Tayos. Although Hall had permission from Ecuadorian authorities to explore, it's unclear if the indigenous people were consulted. The reality was, even if they did object, there wasn't much they could do about it. 
So, Hall and a group of expert cavers approached Cueva de los Tayos without any resistance. They stood at the precipice and looked down. All they saw was darkness. The men dropped a rope into the opening. They added some slack once, twice, three times. Still, it didn't reach the bottom. Finally, they hit something solid. They retracted the cable and measured the distance. According to Hall, it was around 200 feet to the ground. As they lowered themselves into the abyss, the only sound they heard was the loud clicking of hundreds of oil birds. For the most part, the cave was dark. They likely relied heavily on flashlights and headlamps. There was only one way to tell what time of day it was, by looking at the opening where sunlight poured in. It was called the Altar of Light. Directly beneath that crevice lay a plot of grass, the only vegetation in the otherwise rocky surroundings. As the crew ventured beyond the small circle of illumination, they kept their eyes peeled for critters roaming between stones. They shared the hollow with giant brown tarantulas and three-inch beetles. Archaeologist Pedro Porras and several other men were exploring the many nooks and crannies when they stumbled upon an odd pile of rocks. The stones looked different than the rest of the cave, like someone had brought them down from the outside world. Porus and his colleagues heaved them aside, revealing a small chamber. The entrance was just big enough for one person. The group waited with bated breath as a smaller framed colleague squeezed inside. Moments later, he emerged, his face white as a ghost. He'd just seen a corpse. The body was upright in a seated position alongside some broken pottery and shells. The shards seemed old, and later the team dated them to 1500 BC. Based on the elaborate surroundings, the explorers figured the deceased, whoever they were, must have been pretty important. Unfortunately, we may never know more than that. Apparently, the body collapsed into a pile of dust as soon as the caver laid a finger on it. Even more concerning, just a few hours after the discovery, several crew members started to feel sick. Some ran fevers as high as 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Others dealt with gastroenteritis or gnarly insect bites. Stan Hall started to wonder if this was a bad omen, like the mythical curse of the pharaohs. Perhaps whoever was buried here didn't appreciate being disturbed. They may have been warning the team not to venture any further. But Hall's possible reservations didn't stop him from continuing. It's possible that was because, surprisingly, the Shuar seemed to be on his side. Each night, the explorers returned to base camp to rest, then resumed their caving during the day. And the evening after Hall's crew members became ill, the local families came to their aid, helping to treat the sick. It's not clear why they were so kind to the group. It could have had something to do with their excitement about the astronaut explorer who was due to join the team any moment. Just one month after Hall's arrival, on August 1st, 1976, a Boeing 727 glided onto the tarmac in Quito. 
Moments later, Neil Armstrong climbed out and waved to a roaring crowd. A local reporter asked Armstrong how he was coping with the altitude. Amused, the astronaut said he was used to it. Then, Armstrong joined Stan Hall, who'd left base camp to personally welcome his most high-profile comrade. The next day, the men made the long journey back to Cueva de los Tayos. Luckily for Armstrong, the team had spent the last few weeks designing a system of levers and pulleys that could safely transport people to the bottom. It moved slowly, about 14 feet per minute, meaning it would take approximately 15 minutes to reach the ground. Still, it was easier than rappelling. Once they made it down, Armstrong and Hall explored the deepest part of the cave, known as the sump. They trudged through chest-high water before eventually finding a collection of stone tunnels. Just as author von Däniken had written, the passageways looked like they'd been cut at right angles and then polished. But it would have been tricky to build a tunnel with such precision. The original builders would have needed to make a lot of mathematical calculations and measurements underground with limited light and no modern equipment. Additionally, oddly enough, the corridors seemed way too narrow for someone to be able to crawl inside with construction tools. Same for any devices that could polish the stone and keep it gleaming for thousands of years afterward. It seemed the caverns were just as mysterious as von Däniken had said they'd be. Carefully, Armstrong and Hall explored the caves. They found more artifacts that seemed to defy explanation, like a shell that appeared to come from the Pacific Ocean. That may not sound that impressive, but the beach was hundreds of miles away over on the other side of rocky land and mountains. There were other surprising finds too. Jewelry, ceramic figures, even previously undiscovered animal species, by the end of their journey, the team had noted over 400 kinds of bats, butterflies, and beetles inside the cave. And that's not even counting the roughly 80 never-before-seen plant species. As far as scientific expeditions go, the trip was a success. But no matter how hard the crew looked, one thing continued to evade them. The golden treasure Eric von Däniken had promised which left them asking one unavoidable question. Was von Däniken wrong? Coming up, the controversial author reveals where his evidence came from. Now, back to the story. In his 1972 book, The Gold of the Gods, Eric von Däniken described a wondrous Ecuadorian cave, Cueva de los Tayos. He wrote about impressive passageways and a vast metallic library filled with world-altering texts. Von Däniken insisted the remote cavern must have been constructed, at least in part, with the help of aliens. He based this on a few pieces of evidence. First, the cavern's incredible architecture, those perfect right angles and the polished stone. He decided the cave could only have been built by some kind of advanced ancient civilization. Then there was that drawing he found on one of the stone tablets, 
the one that looked like it depicted a dinosaur. In his mind, there was no way the ancient people who lived near Cueva de los Tayos could know about these prehistoric creatures. He wrote, What intelligent thinking being ever saw a dinosaur? But when Stan Hall and Neil Armstrong led an expedition to Los Tayos in 1976, they didn't see any golden treasure or metallic books. Perhaps that shouldn't have come as much of a surprise. If Hall had done his research, he might have been more cautious about following in Von Däniken's footsteps. So who was Von Däniken? He was raised in Switzerland by Roman Catholic parents, but never personally embraced their beliefs. As a young adult, he became increasingly interested in fringe topics like flying saucers. Between the ages of 19 and 25, he repeatedly got into trouble with the law. He was convicted of embezzlement twice. Allegedly, he stole money to fund his extraterrestrial research and what a judge referred to as his, quote, playboy lifestyle. Allegedly, the court psychologist also deemed him a pathological liar. His criminal convictions eventually resulted in a year in jail. But once he got out, he continued to explore his otherworldly beliefs. Eventually, he wrote down his theories, including a very unique version of early human history. In 1968, Von Däniken published Chariots of the Gods, which suggested the complex religions and technologies of several ancient civilizations actually came from ancient extraterrestrial astronauts. The controversial book became a bestseller. Fast forward to 1972, Von Däniken wrote another hit, The Gold of the Gods. That's the book that detailed the alleged treasures in Cueva de los Tayos. Following its release, he sat down for an interview with science writer Timothy Ferris. Ferris was skeptical of his arguments and came in hot. He previously questioned Von Däniken's supposed travel partner, Juan Morris, who denied ever exploring the cave with Von Däniken. Von Däniken wasn't rattled, though. He replied, quote, I guess we are both telling half the truth. He went on to clarify, yes, he did go to a cave with treasure, but he didn't access it through the main entrance to Cueva de los Tayos. He'd completely fabricated the details about the stash's location, and he didn't see why it mattered. He never claimed the gold of the gods was a purely scientific document. In his mind, that meant he was allowed to embellish with what he called theatrical effect. It didn't seem to bother his audience either. For the most part, Von Däniken's books were apparently well-received. They allegedly made him a multi-millionaire. But the most concerning aspect of all this wasn't that he seemingly lied. It was what his theories implied. Von Däniken insisted Cueva de los Tayos and the objects inside it couldn't possibly have been made by human beings. In doing so, he was leaning into dangerous and very degrading tropes about indigenous peoples. Researcher Julian Benoit put it best, people like Von Däniken, quote, perpetuate and give air to the racist notion that only Europeans, white people, ever were and ever will be capable of such architectural feats, 
end quote. After all, Western creations, like the Roman Forum and Greek Parthenon, don't inspire nearly the same level of alien theories. Unfortunately, Cueva de los Tayos is just one of several marvels that have sparked ancient aliens' discourse. Take Egypt's Pyramids of Giza. Some pseudo-archaeologists have suggested the ancient Egyptian people didn't build them on their own. Like von Däniken, they claimed extraterrestrials must have been involved, even after research in the 1990s confirmed they were, in fact, built by Egyptians. Similarly, much of the mystery surrounding Los Tayos has also been debunked. Florencio Delgado, an archaeologist at San Francisco de Quito University, visited the cave multiple times. In a piece for Outside Magazine, he called the possibility of alien architects a made-up story. Thanks to modern technology and archaeological records, Delgado was confident Los Tayos is between 25,000 to 30,000 years old and made of sandstone and carbonate. The stunning precision and apparently glazed walls were caused by normal geological processes. Over time, the Earth's pressure pressed the rock into layers that looked polished because of the water flowing in the chasm. As for the artifacts and dead body inside, nothing has been confirmed. It's possible the cavern was used as an ancient burial site, but that doesn't mean extraterrestrials were involved in any way. There's another problematic aspect of von Däniken's book that we haven't touched on yet. The whole idea that he and Maurice discovered the structure was simply not true. The reality was, the Schwar knew about the cave the whole time they were in the region. It was an important part of the land they worked so hard to protect. It seemed initially they were supportive of Hall and Armstrong's 1976 expeditions. Again, we don't know exactly why, but it's possible they appreciated that Cueva de los Tayos was finally being recognized. It deserved to be celebrated for its impressive features. But shortly after the excursion, whatever excitement they might have had vanished. The region drew more attention than ever before. It must have been overwhelming, because before long, the Schwar barred foreigners from exploring the cave. According to one of the locals, the community wanted to live in peace on their land. If there was any silver lining in all the chaos, it may have been the Schwar finding a new ally in Stan Hall. After his trip, Hall genuinely seemed invested in the local community. The Scottish engineer quit his day job, moved to Ecuador, and continued exploring the country. He married an Ecuadorian woman and they had a daughter, Eileen. He also built relationships with the Schwar and continued to learn about their culture. Before Hall passed away in 2008, Eileen promised her father she'd keep his spirit alive and continue exploring Cueva de los Tayos. She got the Schwar's blessing to lead expeditions to the cave. And instead of entertaining myths about ancient aliens and a hidden treasure, she introduced visitors to Los Tayos in a unique, exciting way. During her first tour in 2018, she and her team used the caverns to study how music impacted the brain. 
During the four-day excursion, the group, which included a neuroscientist and electronic musician, meditated and played instruments. One of Eileen's subsequent expeditions took that idea and elevated it. Again, she and her team recorded musical performances inside the cave. She hoped the tapes could raise awareness and help make Los Tayos a UNESCO World Heritage Site protected by the United Nations. Eileen planned to incorporate the music into a multimedia exhibition in London. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, she was forced to release her work online as a digital exhibit called Liminal Compass. Eileen's efforts came at a critical time. In 2012, the Ecuadorian government permitted mining companies to set up shop in Shuar territory. The UN and International Federation of Human Rights objected. They claimed these deals violated Ecuadorian and international laws about the rights of indigenous peoples. But that hasn't stopped the mining. As of May 2022, 56% of their land had been signed over to corporations. The Shuar have protested the contracts and faced bloody consequences as a result. At least two tribe members died in confrontations with the authorities. Still, they continue to advocate for their rights, and their hard work is paying off. In July 2022, the Shuar won a decades-long legal battle to protect the Tiwi Nunca Forest, which lies directly south of Los Tayos. The next battle may be over the caves. The Shuar could lose access to the caverns, or worse yet, private companies could build a mining facility on top of them. Once a symbol of factually questionable and culturally insensitive claims, Cueva de los Tayos now attracts headlines for its natural beauty and the indigenous people who've looked after it for centuries. The Shuar have taken control of their own narrative. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ali Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Jay Cahew, recorded by Freddie Rivera, Produced by Bruce Katovich and sound designed by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, Ramirez. You know the names, but do you know the whole terrifying story? Every Monday and Thursday on Serial Killers, take a horrific journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer. 
exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Some were charismatic, others were calculated, but all of them were disturbingly deadly. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.